Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Jonah, chapter 2, and we'll read together, beginning with verse 1, Jonah, chapter 2. We're going through the book of Jonah in our Sunday morning worship services and in all of our life groups, and many of you were in a life group um, this morning already, and um, I hope you studied God's Word uh, closely together and thought about how this applies to your life. And I want to say thank you to all of you who teach a life group. And can I just say a word? If you teach adults, I hope they'll, they say thank you. And you teenagers, I hope you thank uh, those who teach you as well. But sometimes the children and the preschoolers don't have anyone to say thanks as much. And I want to thank you. I appreciate those of you who teach in those areas. God bless you. And we know there's some commitment and some sacrifice that's involved with that. And I just want you to know how grateful I am for you. And God bless you as you teach this week and, and uh, every week. We're we need more like you. Well, let's open our Bibles to Jonah chapter 2. If you were here last week, we looked at Jonah chapter 1, and we saw the beginning of that story. We talked last week about running from God. And you may remember we used that little analogy um, um, to kind of help us to describe what God wanted. And God said, we, we used this, we said, God said go, and Jonah said no, and God said oh. And remember in the O came judgment. He got thrown, Jonah was thrown into the sea, but also God's grace because God prepared a great fish. And the very last verse of that first chapter said that Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. And so now let's pick up the story in chapter two as we go from running from God to returning to God. And let's read this together. The Bible says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And here's his prayer in verse 2. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. When you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the sea, the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. And I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depth uh, overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's uh, gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Well, let's note some principles about returning to God. I've got four principles I'd like you to note. Would you write these down? Use that worship guide or the app if you'd like, and let's note these four things. So principle number one, and you need to get this one, acknowledge your need. You'll never come back to God until you acknowledge your need for God. And I want you to note that adversity can be a great teacher especially when it comes to helping us see our need for the Lord. Adversity can be a great teacher. There's no better teacher than the stomach of a great fish. That's a great place to learn your lessons and to gain some principles. You get some insight there. Nothing like the belly of a great fish to sort of clear the head of all the distractions and just really focus on the Lord. And um, sometimes we need that because we think that like victory is the great teacher and something you can learn lessons in success 
but there is no teacher like adversity. LeBron James scored the most points in just recently past the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar record, most points scored in the NBA of all time. And I heard him say something, and everybody, of course, interviewing him afterwards, and heard he had a quote that was reported that said this. LeBron said, after setting the new record for the most points scored in the NBA, in the history of the NBA, he said, I'm humbled by this. And I thought to myself, no, you're not. <laughs> now, you can be humble in success, right? You can be humble in success. But success does not tend to humble us. It tends to do the opposite for us. But you bring some adversity, boy, that, that can humble us. There's something about adversity. There's something about being in the stomach of a great fish in some terrible circumstance. Some of you know this very well because you're in a difficult circumstance right now. It can clear the head of all the distractions and help you to see what matters most. In fact, note what verse 17 said. The last verse of chapter 1 said that Jonah got thrown into the sea and he got swallowed by a great fish and he was in the stomach and the belly of the great fish for how long? For three days and three nights. Now, I get the impression that there was a time lapse here between the time Jonah gets thrown into the sea, is swallowed, and the time when uh, he begins to pray. Because he's in for three days. It's not, not, it's not three minutes or three hours, but it's three days. And I wonder if it doesn't take him some time to sort of begin to listen to what God has to say. I wonder if there's some time when he just struggled. Perhaps he started with pride. I don't need help. I don't need help. I'll find my way out of this. I'll do something. I don't know. I'll, you know, I'll find some way to force my way out. And there's nothing worked. I'll find my, I'll find some way to get around this miracle. But there was nothing that could be done. Pride says, I don't need help. And maybe you've said that to the Lord. What if LeBron said, you know, I don't, I don't need any help. I mean, I don't need any teammates. You, you can't score the record without team. I mean, it's impossible. He could do a lot of things, but he has to have teammates. I mean, someone's got to throw the ball in bounds of nothing else. He's got to have teammates. And while he's thinking about what he could do, what if, uh, what if he had forgotten about his health? There are a lot of men his age who have had some health issue or problem that would never have allowed them to be able to do what he does. Or what if he had only been 5'8 instead of 6'8. I just, I'm just suggesting to you, you might not know his name if he was only 5'8. Pride says, I don't need help. I can do it on my own. I don't need God. I don't need God. I am surprised how many people say that. And I'm surprised how many people who name the name of Christ say that about the Lord as well. In effect, they say, I don't need God, or I'll call you if it gets really bad, God. It's sort of got to get really, really, really bad. Three days he's in the belly of the great fish. And sometimes hitting bottom, is a, the bottom is a lot lower than we would expect. And so God sometimes uses circumstances to get our attention, to help us learn lessons. But sometimes those lessons take a long time for us to learn. Three days in the stomach with the stomach acids and the bad smells and the darkness, and the difficulty, and the pressure, and the pain, three days. Maybe you went from pride to pity. Pity is a common thing. Pity says, I don't deserve these problems. Why 
has this happened to me? And listen, if you're going through pain, I get that's a question we ask. Why am I going through this pain? May I say it is just as legitimate to ask the question why when it comes to our blessings, right? Just as legitimate. Why do I have these blessings, God? I mean, I get it. We ask, why do I have this pain? And why do I have these problems? And why do I face this difficulty? And why, why do I have these struggles? Which, by the way, in this particular case, sometimes we don't know. Sometimes the only answer I have for you is we live in a fallen, broken world, and you are part of this fallen, broken world, and so you face adverse, adversity. In this particular instance, Jonah could say, you know, uh, part of the reason why I'm in this fish is because I ran from God, and I faced his judgment, and I find myself in this problem. But maybe you just had that pity. Pity is a powerful emotion. I don't deserve this problem. But finally he got to prayer. And in prayer he said, I need God. I need God's help. I can't do this on my own. It doesn't matter. I can't change one thing about the past. It doesn't matter how bad I feel or how much I, how sorry I feel for myself. I need God. And let me tell you, that's a powerful place to get. So let's go to verse 1. Jonah prayed, the Bible says, that is, he talked to God. The God who made the universe invites us to talk to him in prayer. The universe, the God who created all that we can see, he invites us to talk to him in prayer. He talks to us through his word and he invites us to talk to him in prayer. God loves communicating with us. He loves the connection with, with us. He loves fellowship with us. The Bible says Jonah prayed to the Lord. And I want to remind you that Jesus is Lord and not us. God is our Lord. We're not, sometimes we want to kind of get that in reverse order and we say, I'm going to run my own life, God. I'm going to be Lord. If I need some help, maybe I'll call you, but I'm going to run my own life. Jonah recognized that he is Lord. And I, if I, listen, if Jesus is Lord, I'm not. If Jesus is Lord, I can't be Lord and Jesus be Lord at the same time. One or the other is Lord of my life. And either you're running your own life or you're allowing the Lord to run your life. But Jesus is Lord. And when you trust Christ as Savior, you rightfully say, Jesus is Lord. And he's in charge. And his will and not my will. The Bible says Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He is personal. And God wants you to see that he has a personal relationship with us. He wants that for us. He prayed to the Lord, his God. A closeness and a connection and a fellowship and an intimacy and prayer is an intimate part of our relationship with God. And he did this, the Bible says in verse 1, from the belly of the fish, in the place of adversity and facing difficulty. He did the wisest thing, the most logical thing, the most important thing he could do. And he turned from his, from his pride, I don't need help. You know, we men say we don't need help. I don't, I'm not going to ask directions. I mean, if you guys have driven around, maybe some ladies to drive around for, nowadays you have the help of the phone to help you get somewhere, but we would just, in the old days, you would just drive sometimes for days and weeks and months at a time. You'd just be lost because you couldn't stop and ask for help. We're not going to ask for help on a pickle jar. We're not going to ask anyone to help us with a pickle jar. We're going to get the pliers out, and then if necessary, we're just going to throw the whole thing away because we're not going to ask for help. And we come to God like that as, as well often. I'm not going to ask God for help. Until finally the day comes where we acknowledge our need. And God's been waiting for that all along. And we say, God, I need you. I need your help. I'm going to set aside pride. And in the middle of this, 
God uses adversity so often as the teaching tool to help us to see that we need him. Now, you need him every day, whether you're facing this kind of adversity or not. Jonah needed the Lord outside the belly of the, of the great fish as much as he did when he was inside. But there was something about being in the belly that caused him to see this. And perhaps God is using adversity in your life to help you to see this principle that you have fought against or chafed against or ignored that you need God and that you can't do it on your own. And listen, the stomach of a fish can be a great teacher. There's a second principle I'd like you to note. Remember your hope. If you're going to come back to God, remember your hope. And God brings hope to what seems to be hopeless situations. Hopeless situations. It seemed hopeless to Jonah. It seemed hopeless. But God. And maybe your situation seems hopeless. But God. That is, God is able to bring hope in hopeless situations, in situations that seem too big for us, too hard for us, more than we can endure, more than we can understand, more than we can take. God is able to bring hope to situations that seem hopeless. And the, the stomach of a great fish must seem like a very hopeless space. I think when you're swallowed by a great fish, you must, there must be something in your mind that says, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. This is everything about this is hopeless and bad and bleak and terrible, but God. So let's go to verse 2 and kind of work our way through this. The Bible says, Jonah said, I called to the Lord in my distress. And by the way, notice that in that distress, that's perhaps why he began to call. He was running from God. Now he calls to God. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol, Sheol, the place of the dead, from what seemed to be death itself. I cried from there, deep inside death, and you heard my voice. When you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the sea, the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. It just looked terrible, bleak. And I said, I've been banished from your sight, and you don't even know what I'm going through. God, you can't even see me. And yet, he said, I will look once more toward your holy temple. Verse 5, the water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed is wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundation of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. I mean, this is a hopeless situation. Then, he says in verse 6, then you raised my life from the pit. You feel like you're in the pit right now? You feel like your life is in the pit right now? You raised my life from the pit. I couldn't do it, God. But in the pit, when I finally turned to you, you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. And in that hopeless situation, I began to pray, and you answered. There is a woman who has been um, such an inspiration to me. Some of you maybe will know this name, and some won't. Her name's Johnny Erickson Tata. And she's inspired me so much because her life has never had a difficulty. Is that right? Do any of you know who Johnny is? If you do know Johnny, you know she's had some difficulty. When she was a 17-year-old girl, she, was, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay, not realizing the water was shallow there, and she broke her neck and has lived ever since as a quadriplegic. You talk, you talk about hard. 
and difficult life. She can't walk. She can't uh, use her hands in any sort of normal, what we think of as normal, everyday ways. And yet her faith has been so remarkable and her impact so great. Some of you have heard her from Johnny and Friends. She does on the radio spot. She's helped uh, people with special needs in so many ways over the years. Uh, she's written lots of books. She's painted. She uses, she puts um, the paintbrush in her mouth and paints. Uh, and now she can use voice recognition. In the old days of writing books, she would do it using a, a something in her mouth to type in the letters. Amazing, amazing story. When I was probably about, when I was in college, maybe 20 years old. When you're 20 years old, you're just, you're invincible. You're immortal. You just feel like, you know, life, I mean, you can do anything. And then here was a woman who was speaking in our chapel, who was living for the Lord under such difficult circumstances. Listen, I've, I struggled to live for the Lord in pretty advantageous circumstances. I struggled to follow the Lord easily in circumstances where I didn't have any of the problems comparatively that she had. And yet here's a woman with all of that difficulty and all of, that, all of those problems, and she had such hope and such encouragement and such spiritual strength. So some of you are facing a storm Maybe it's not the same as Johnny's storm. And maybe the storm you're facing isn't the same as Jonah's storm. But you're facing a storm. And I want to ask three things of you if you're facing a storm. All of them start with T. This will be easy to remember. Number one, turn to God in the storm. Turn to God in the storm. In the middle of that storm, don't wait for the storm to be over to turn to God. Turn to, the storm, turn, turn to God right where you are right where you are. Don't wait until the storm's over. Don't wait for a more convenient time. There will never be a more convenient time than this day to give your life to Christ as Savior. There'll never be a better time than today to begin to follow the Lord and to serve Him and live for Him, to live up to the commitments that you've made. Turn to God in the middle of the storm. Number two, trust God in the storm. Trust God in the storm. God doesn't always take the storm away. This is a broken, fallen world filled with storms. God wants you to trust him right now. Not if circumstances change, but while circumstances remain. God wants you to trust him in the middle of the storm, in the middle of that belly of the fish, from the wheelchair, in the adversity or struggle or difficulty that you face. God asks us to trust him now, not someday. And can I tell you, Johnny Erickson is not in a wheelchair. Did you know she's not in a wheelchair? On the day that she leaves this earth, the wheelchair remains, and she will stand before the Lord. So how do you have hope in the storm? How do you trust God in the storm? You trust him because you know the hope that comes from the Lord Jesus. Our hope... We would be most pitied if our hope was only for this world, but we have hope greater than this. When we come back to the book of Revelation, we'll come back, um, now eventually we'll get through the, great, the whole book of, of Revelation on Sunday mornings. When we come back to that book, we'll be reminded of a day that will come when there'll be no more sorrow or pain. And 
No more broken circumstances and broken lives and broken necks. Turn to God, trust God in the storm. And number three, testify of God in the storm. Testify of God in the storm. And one of the reasons Johnny has been so influential in the lives of many is because in the middle of that adversity, she has testified to the goodness of God in a way that forces us, reminds us to listen, to hear that testimony of God's goodness in the middle of the storm matters. There's a third principle I want you to note. I said we acknowledge our need and remember our hope. Number three, make your commitment. Make your commitment. So let's go to uh, verses eight and nine where we see some lessons that Jonah is learning from the belly of the fish, some, some of the seminary classroom that God is teaching him. That, that belly of the fish is a great classroom to learn. God is doing some teaching, some training there. Note some things, really four things that Jonah begins to learn in that fish's stomach. Number one, he learns that God has something better. He says, those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. And those, the idols, many of the things we chase are so worthless. If I could just get things, we say. If I could just have pleasure, we say. Popularity. And we chase these worthless idols. And they're abandoning their faithful love. God has something better. So whatever it is you think, man, if I could just get that, I'd be so, that'd be so great. And I'm going to chase it and chase it and chase it. What God wants for you is better than what you want. Whatever it is you want, God wants something that's better for you. You might not fully understand that right now, but God promises that for eternity, and you'll see that most clearly one day when you stand before the Lord. God has something better. It was a lesson learned. Number two, he's, he learned that sacrifice and gratitude go together. He says in verse 9, As for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. God, I'm not going to see sacrifice any longer just as a bad thing, but I'm going to willingly give of my effort, my time, my resources, my life, because I'm, gr I'm grateful for all you have done for me. Those two principles go together always. Sacrifice and gratitude go together best. And we will sacrifice when we have gratitude. There are people who sacrifice for the cause of Christ all around the world today. They're doing it because of the gratitude in their heart for what God has done. People who give of themselves in ministry and service, who teach classes, who love others, who serve instead of being served. And they're doing that because of the gratitude of what God has done for them. He learned that lesson well in that stomach of a fish. A third thing he learned was the promise, that promises made should be promises kept. He said, I'll sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving, and I will fulfill what I have vowed. Notice, I will. Not I hope to someday, but I will. He's making a commitment here. He's saying, I will fulfill what I vowed. I will sacrifice to you. I made some commitments to you that I didn't keep, he's saying. I said, I'm going to follow you, and I didn't. I'm going to do what you want me to do, and I didn't. And I am going to fulfill the vows I've made to you. When you trusted Christ as Savior, you said, Lord, I'm going to follow you. And perhaps you didn't. And God asked something hard of you, or you faced circumstances that were difficult, or, or there was some adversity in your life in some way, or you were distracted by the things of this world. And you didn't keep that commitment. And the Lord is saying, I want you to keep the promises that you made. You made promises, now keep those promises. And in the stomach of that fish, Jonah said, I'm, I'm learning this lesson from God that it's not enough just to make a commitment, but I want to keep that commitment. I want to keep the promises that I've made. And then he noted that God makes a commitment to us. God has made a commitment to us. In verse 9, it says, salvation belongs to the Lord. 
God has made promises to us, and he keeps them. He promises to save us when we repent of our sins and place our trust in Christ. He keeps that promise. He promises us that he'll give us abundant life if we'll follow his way, that though it may be the hard way and the difficult way, it's the better way, and that he will give us a life worth living, and he'll give us meaning and purpose. And, of course, he promises us one day a home in heaven in his presence, full forgiveness of sin, full health and full experience of the love of God. All of those promises God has made, and God keeps his promises. I don't, did you know that today is, there's a Super Bowl today? Did you know that? Were you aware of that already? Millions of people around the world will watch that, especially in our country. They'll watch that Super Bowl. And on the Super Bowl today are a couple of brothers. Did you know two brothers are playing? Jason and Travis Kelsey are playing against each other, one on the Eagles, one on the Chiefs. They both play offense. They won't be on the field at the same time. But two brothers in the Super Bowl, they said something like, uh, either way it goes, mom wins. And I guess that's true, right? Mom wins. It must be a little weird to watch your kids play in the Super Bowl against each other. And they, their story is, uh, now I don't know all of their spiritual background. I just know enough about their spiritual background to suggest that I will not be having them preach uh, anytime soon at FBCO. I'm pretty sure of that part. I don't know a lot about their whole story, but I do know they are not the kind of people you would expect to be playing in the Super Bowl against each other. Um, multiple Pro Bowls between them, both of them multiple times in the Pro Bowl. Uh, Jason was a walk-on at the University of Cincinnati before he went pro. Travis was a two-star prospect, which is down the line. I mean, nobody expected either of these two uh, men to be successful in college, much, much less to make the NFL, much less to be multiple all-pro in the NFL. And now they had some size. They're big guys, really big guys, really, really big guys. And they had some abilities, of course. But I know this. Somewhere along the way, they had some big commitments made, some big commitments. I mean, I know just enough about the sport to suggest those guys worked out hard. I mean, they lifted weights, and they, they went through rigorous training. They got strength and conditioning coaches who helped them. They had some nutritionists along the way. They have gone through practice after practice after practice. They have endured hardship. They made a commitment and stuck by it. I know that. And there's something for us to be learned about commitment. Because what we see is, well, we want to like, I want my life to be great. I want just, like, I like to, I love to just know the Bible inside and out. All right, make a commitment and do something about it then. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'd like to know the Bible. Well, all right, what, what are you doing tomorrow? Tomorrow morning, will you be in the Word? What if you read the Bible for yourself day by day by day? What if you did something as simple as we suggest here at church to read the Bible at least five days a week, at least two chapters of the New Testament each day where you begin to learn the New Testament, read through it every half year? What if you begin to take some ownership of that? Or you might say, you know, I'd really like to you know, be a maturing Christian and be able to use my gifts well. All right, let's do something about it. Let's get a, in a small group where you get connected and it's iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another. Let's get active in worship services where it's not just something you do if, you, if nothing else is going on, but something that you see a commitment in. What if you begin to make a commitment to it? God honors and blesses that. And then there's something about difficulty and adversity that can help hone these lessons, teach us these things. And it's one of the lessons Jonah began to learn. But there's a fourth lesson I'd like you to know. 
seize your opportunity. If you want to return to God, seize your opportunity. And verse 10 is the most understated verse, perhaps in all the Bible. Verse 10 says, Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Projectile vomiting onto dry land. God commanded the fish, and the fish obeyed God. Now the question will be, will Jonah? Will Jonah obey? But the fish obeyed. Vomits Jonah onto the dry land. Man, that must have been an exciting day for whoever was on the shore that day. Some poor fisherman minding his own business, some kids out playing. Someone's walking along the beach just collecting seashores or something, and suddenly a man bleached white from the acid of the stomach of the fish. It must have smelled just terrible. Everything about that situation just covered, just vomited out onto the dry, onto the dry ground. But here, here's what I want you to get. Because some of you feel like, man, I'm in the middle of a, my life is filled with just vomit right now. That's what it feels like for you, right? You've got the vomit of your past. Some of you just bring baggage and hurt and pain. I mean, just the, the problems of your heritage, the problems of your background, the terrible choices, the difficult situations. Oh, man, it just feels like your past is just filled with, just filled with vomit. And you're in a situation right now, it just feels like it's just, it's terrible. Circumstances are terrible. Listen, in the, in the middle of the vomit comes opportunity. Right in the middle of it comes opportunity. It doesn't feel much like opportunity when you're vomited out of a, the whale's mouth or the great fish's mouth. It doesn't feel much like opportunity, but that's exactly what it is. God's grace is right there in the middle of the mess. The second chance is right there in the middle of the mess. God is not unaware of what you're going through. But he will use it for your good and for his glory. And so if that's you, just your life wrecked and messes all around you, circumstances, some of them your own making, some of them out of your control, if that's you, you give it to Jesus because it's an opportunity. And know that God's grace in the middle of the pain and the sorrow and the hurt and the brokenness and the vomit is God's grace and a chance to glorify him. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Some of you here, the Lord brought you to this place so that you would give your life to Christ, so that you would see that you can repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ. Today, I want to ask you to make that greatest decision of life. Don't put it off for another day. Don't wait for, I'm going to clean up my own life and then I'll come to God. You can't. You come in the mess that you are right now. God does the cleanup from the inside. You just come as you are, broken, reeling, hurting, marred by sin and all its mess. I just come to you, God. I've turned from my sin. I place my trust in you. Christ will save you. Christian, some of you, 
As I talked about running from God, you related a little bit to Jonah's life. And as I talked about returning to God, now you face this, this realization that God's been using these circumstances in your life for a purpose. Don't waste, don't waste this mess. Don't waste this pain. Let God do a work in you. Let him teach you the lessons he wants you to learn. Respond to his offer of grace in the middle of the mess. Maybe you'd say, God, I want to I follow you. I want to stop running, trying to run my own life and run from you. But I want to run to you. I want to run to your purposes. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to follow you. God, use this circumstances, the mess I'm in, to teach me the lessons I need to learn so that I will follow you. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the lessons you teach us from the book of Jonah. And as we see the lessons he learned in the stomach of a fish, there's just something about adversity that can open our eyes in a way that nothing else can. Lessons that can be learned there in ways that we just don't learn them otherwise. And so, Father, would you use all the brokenness, all the mess, all the vomit of life to help us to see we need you and you are a God who gives second chances. So, Father, I'm praying you'll do a work in our lives and in our hearts. I'm praying people will be saved. I'm praying people will be strengthened. I'm praying people will, be, will gain a new perspective of the truth and your purposes and plans. I pray we will turn to you. We will find those second chances. We will see your grace and we'll trust you with all the rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.